Hi everyone, I'm Riley Blanks, your hostess and the creator of Woke Beauty, a storytelling platform reimagining the everyday act of self-celebration for and by all women. This show brings you unfiltered conversations with a dynamic myriad of female visionaries who have developed personal success despite trauma and hardship by leaning into grit and discernment. We explore the messy interwoven realities of mental health, holistic wellness, intricate family dynamics, racial complexity, and the exceptional discoveries that lead to fulfillment. This is our pledge to the power of resilience and the impact of perspective. Akili King is a 25-year-old graduate of the NYU Gallatin School of Individualized Studies, where she focused on creative writing, Africana studies, and journalism. She was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, until she moved to Paris for her freshman year of college for the NYU Paris program. She is currently based in Brooklyn, New York, and is the beauty editorial assistant and writer at Vogue magazine. Her writing covers the spheres of beauty, wellness and culture, and her bylines can be seen in the likes of Milk Makeup, Fashion Fair, and Drome. She writes the weekly column Best Beauty Instagrams of the Week for Vogue, where she aims to push the envelope of what beauty is considered to be. Her newest series, Texture Diaries, gives space to black women in the industry to celebrate and affirm their beauty. Akili is passionate about poetry, film, screenwriting, yoga, and pole dancing. Her poetry can be found in her book, Awakening. She started writing when she was five years old, and as she grew up, she gained a fascination for the world of beauty and reading magazines, but noticed there were rarely diverse images represented in either spheres. Her mission is to continue writing meaningful pieces through a beauty and wellness lens that uplift those who don't often feel seen in the media. How are you, like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Working from home, I kind of like it a lot, actually. I feel like writing-wise, it's nice to kind of just be in my zone, kind of, and, like, in my own space. Um, But then, obviously, quarantining can be tough. (laughs) And I'm, like, pretty anxious, I think, about the virus so I've been pretty like to myself and like you know really trying to follow all the protocols it can be a little exhausting and then obviously it's been an exhausting time for black people as well so the combination of the two has been has taken a toll on me but I'm lucky to have my family here and I'm in Chicago right now and then my boyfriend just came to visit so because we were apart for like four months. So that's been really nice. And then I'm off of work this week. So I'm just trying to like pour into myself <laughs> as much as I can. What does pouring into yourself look like? It's a lot of different things for me. I've been really into pole dancing. <laughs> um, so for me, that's been really amazing. Like it's been an amazing journey, not just for the workout, because the workout is amazing. Um but also just it's almost like a meditation for me too because 
of how intense it is. So you can't really focus on anything else besides what you're doing. <laughs> so it's been a kind of way for me to, I guess, you know, have kind of an escape and a workout and then also just like tapping into like my sexuality, sensuality. I feel like it's been like a confidence booster as well. And then the community that I've found within pole dancing too as well. Like a lot of amazing black women online and offline that I've met through it and connected with. So and they all say the same things like pole dancing has just made me so confident and feel strong like physically and mentally. I have a pole here now at home. So yeah, I've been trying to read more. I guess journaling is a big thing for me since I was little. Like I I guess, you know, with writing, I love to write. So journaling is just kind of a natural extension of that. Yeah, I feel like um, in a way, all of those activities have like a meditative element to them. You yeah. know, I think we oftentimes define meditation as just like sitting and doing nothing. But I think you can find it in movement. And mm -hmm. I think it's really beautiful that you have such a sort of eclectic arrangement of ways to like zone out, you know? Yes. Okay, so Akili, I would... Mm -hmm love to start from like ground level as I often do um, yeah. in my conversations. Um, I'd love to ask you where you were born and how you presently identify with that place. Mm. So I was born in Chicago, Illinois, born and raised. Um, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, as my dad would say. <laughs> Most of my upbringing was kind of very scheduled, if I'm being honest. So if I wasn't at school, I was doing gymnastics or playing soccer or dancing. But it's really the city that I developed all of my current passions and kind of where, you know, those passions were also nurtured. Um, but yeah, I think even through, you know, some of my difficult times or the adversity I faced or the trauma that I faced growing up I think I'm learning to even be thankful for that the schools I went to was predominantly white and it was also a very math and science focused school and it kind of had the messaging that if you weren't good at those things then you likely would not succeed um, so I feel like I spent a lot of time feeling self-conscious that my interests were more creative and kind of feeling like, what am I going to do with my life? Because that messaging was just like very intense in my schooling. And then being surrounded by, you know, people that didn't look like me or have the same hair type as me. You know, I look back and I was pretty self-conscious, but I think those were also the experiences that fueled what I'm doing now and why I'm doing it and the way that I do it because yeah I recognize the influence those experiences had on my subconscious and my confidence yeah I mean I just remember also being obsessed with magazines and always reading like Teen Vogue and magazines like that and I can say the main cover from my youth that I really can remember that sticks out to me is like the cover with Chanel Iman and I think Jordan Dunn, um, two black models were on that cover. And I think that was like maybe one of the first times I'd seen black models on the cover of Teen Vogue. Yeah, I just spent a lot of time 
trying to kind of change my hair and change myself and trying to fit and mold into these places instead of kind of owning my features and my beauty and my self-worth from the inside out. But I also can say that a lot of what, you know, the messaging from school that I was reading in magazines contributed to that. So when I got to college, I definitely was excited to be interning in the editorial space and take journalism classes um, and things like that because I wanted to be a part of shifting that conversation that already began shifting before me, um, but just pushing it along even further. So I think, yeah, that's kind of my, I guess, relationship to my upbringing. I think the dichotomy between faith and confidence is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I feel like at least for me, I like faith is that unseen, you know, maybe sometimes transparent feeling like, Mm -hmm. okay, I could do this or Mm -hmm. I will make this happen, but it's not substantiated by anything. It's just Mm -hmm. like a feeling, you know, or, or a belief in something Mm -hmm. greater. And I think it's like a key component of like the formula for really following a dream, Mm -hmm. um, especially one that's unconventional. And then I feel like with confidence, it's like, if you, you just get a little bit of traction in that dream, you know, it can like spark confidence that then just might like tumble domino Mm -hmm. effect into the rest. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm curious how you found faith in yourself to be a writer, to, you know, elevating black voices. If you weren't around that, you know, then I imagine that took some guts. So yeah, I'm curious where you got the faith. Yes. Wow. Where did I get the faith? Um, My mother had a huge role in it in terms of, I mainly grew up writing poetry um, more so than anything else. So like from when I was little, I would like write songs for fun. I would write poetry for fun. Um, I would write on the walls. I know a lot of kids do that. Um, but I just like, I think I just had this innate urge to express myself. I don't know exactly what I was trying to express at like five, six, seven, but I just had this need to express through writing. Um, so it was definitely always an innate part of me. Um, but I definitely went through a phase of like doubting my poetry specifically um especially in high school there was like this poetry slam team and like I didn't make it so I kind of like from there was just kind of like I guess I'm not like a good writer or I'm like not a good poet and so I kind of like gave up a little bit and I think I was kind of again like what am I going to do with my life like everything just feels like so far out of my reach in terms of like what I really would want to be doing. When I got to college, being I went to NYU. So I think being in New York and being surrounded by other creatives and specific, specifically creatives of color that were doing all these different things. And then you also have like these internships, like, you know, right at your fingertips, like just 
New York is just the city of opportunity. And I think being exposed to that really uplifted me and made me feel like, okay, there's not just like one way of doing things. And like, I don't have to be this one thing. Um, and like just seeing people around me embrace like their different creative passions and that it was okay to try different things and take different kinds of classes. And I went to Gallatin, um, which is like a create your own major school within NYU. Um, but basically, um, yeah, like just programs like that, that made it okay for you to explore all of your passions and not just like this one specific path, like you can create your own path. Like I think that really fueled faith in myself that, okay, I'm not the only one that is interested in different things. And they kind of gave me the tools to even combine a multitude of different things as I took, you know, creative writing classes, I took journalism, I took African American history classes, and just all these things that at first, maybe I felt like, what am I going to do with any of this? But along the way, they kind of help you see how it all connects, like all of your interests actually are not these super separate things, they, they inform one another. And like me taking me learning about my history, informs the way I write knowing my history I think makes me a better writer um, and then also I interned at Fader for two summers and I remember just feeling like especially the second summer when I interned it's a predominantly hip-hop music magazine that you know puts a lot of people of color and um yeah, because it's it's hip hop, which is rooted in our culture. So a lot of rappers and musicians of color are on the covers. But internally, I was like, especially the second summer, like I was one of the only black female interns. It was mainly all like white men. And I just remember something in my head just clicking, like, how can this be a hip hop magazine <laughs> and the interns are predominantly white males but I will say I think that was a really important moment for me to even keep going because I think that we just need more of our own voices and our own representation and um, if we don't we'll let other people tell our stories so um, and we don't we don't want that so I think that was also a really important moment in my trajectory and yeah and then also when I graduated college I was well senior year I was in a pretty bad accident that was like pretty near-death experience um, and basically yeah I just had this reckoning with myself of life is very short to especially to doubt your callings and your passions. And yeah, you never know when it's really going to be like your last moment. And so I think that that also fueled me to write my book, which we can go into later if we have time. But yeah, I think it was moments, honestly, where I faced adversity that 
maybe in the moment I felt defeated, but in the long term, I think it really fueled my faith. Um, like even after the accident and that moment, I was kind of like still doubting my poetry a little bit. And so, yeah, but because I was injured, I didn't, I couldn't really rely on, you know, exercising or other things to kind of relax me because my body needed to heal. So writing was kind of like my only way to process the trauma. Um, and, and so I was writing a lot of new poems. And then I just had this idea to combine all of my old poems, my new poems, um, and put it in this book as kind of the symbol of the healing work I've done. And also, it, yeah, it was just a big way for me to heal and kind of let go of certain things that I unlearned from my upbringing and then also what I learned through this traumatic experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was really, I guess what gave me the confidence to write was mainly knowing how life, life is too short to not. Your story cannot be told by anyone else besides you. So that was a long way of saying all of that, but yeah. <laughs> We love the long ways. We love them. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, great. I talk Where the magic circles. is. <laughs> this Same. is why I'm a writer, because I just... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Can't. <laughs> can't no see. beginning, no end. Just to, you know, brag about you. You have oh, your own no. column, which is yes. relatively new, right? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. It's so important. Um, you cover beauty, but mm -hmm. it's... It's not just like, I mean, I know you've written about the best razor and, mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't know, hair products, but right. you also dive deep on like trauma, mm -hmm. um, mental health. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious through that process, through your growth, which I think has been pretty large considering your age, mm -hmm. um, which I know we in America have this obsession with like, you know, 15 and famous. So right. not to say that's what makes you special. No, you make no. you special. But uh -huh. I'm curious what your biggest lesson has been, your most impactful lesson um, at, at, since your time at Vogue specifically, um, which I think, is that your first job out of college? Yeah, um, first full-time job. I had part-time jobs, um, and then I interned at the wing. Um, and then after like a year and a half or two years out of college, I landed at Vogue. So I was freelance writing for like milk makeup, fashion fair. I worked at a yoga studio. So yeah, that was kind of the trajectory to Vogue. How did Vogue find you or did you find them? <laughs> <laughs> um, Vogue found me um, basically in college. When I was a freshman, I met, I, I studied abroad in Paris freshman year. Um, and in that program, in my French class, there was an upperclassman that like I got really close to. And um Later in college, I learned that she was interning at Vogue throughout um, her time at NYU. 
And yeah, we would just always keep in touch. We were always like really cool with each other. But I never really thought of like being like, oh, hey, like, can I work at Vogue? Or like, I never like, you know, did that with her. But when I graduated, I reached out to her and and like I did with like many people just to kind of hear their journeys and um, just like, you know, seeing how they got to where they are. And I guess, yeah, it was just helpful for me to kind of hear how people got to where they are because I was just in this place of like, where do I go next? And just it gave me comfort to kind of hear people's journeys that I looked up to um so we had coffee and like she was just asking me like you know what are you feeling you want to do and what have you been up to so I just talked to her about like my writing and um yeah I just told her all the things I basically told you that I was up to and then um yeah and she was just kind of like yeah if I hear of anything like I'll let you know um But yeah, I kind of just left thinking like, you know, everybody kind of says that, like, if anything opens up, like, they'll let you know. (laughs) So I wasn't thinking like, I would hear from her in that capacity, again, but she was like, you know, I've been seeing all your beauty writing, like for, because I was doing fashion fair and makeup and things like that. And yeah, and she was like, there's a beauty assistant position that opened and like, you should interview. And then I guess like the beauty director reached out to me, she like gave her my information. And then I had the first interview and I left feeling kind of like, I don't know if that went well. And then got the second interview. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And then I got a second interview. (laughs) And I was like, I thought it didn't go well. But okay. Then after that, I was like, I don't know. And then I got an edit test which is basically a way for like editors to see your writing style and your ideas. And then, yeah, from there I got the job and I think it still feels surreal. <laughs> Cause I think that whole process, I was like doubting myself. So I don't know. It's just interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I took you off mm-hmm. off track, but I'm oh, so no glad worries. I did because it's cool to hear <laughs> how you got how you got there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to really consider the that it takes a second. You mm-hmm. know, it takes, yeah. and the path is not the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so what's been the lesson? Do you feel like since yeah. you've been there? So many things. I think that one big thing I've learned, especially recently, is that you can never be, this is more of a micro lesson, and then I'll get to like a bigger macro lesson. Um, But yeah, I think three big lessons. One is that you can never be too prepared. So like internally I've learned the importance of really like preparing for every meeting um even if it's like a small meeting just getting in the habit of preparing something to say um each time because I again I'm a writer so I feel like I'm better in writing um so if I kind of don't prepare what I'm gonna say I might either feel self-conscious or 
or doubt what I have to say or or just go on tangents like today <laughs> um, but yeah safe space yeah safe, safe space. space all as well um <laughs> but yeah so I've really learned the importance of that like you can never be too prepared um and that kind of goes into my second lesson which is um don't be afraid to take up space and I think me preparing myself is a way that I allow myself to do that because it helps me to speak up it helps me to use my voice in those rooms um and yeah so I think preparation is really a link to for me at least taking up space and knowing the importance of that um because it's really easy to feel imposter syndrome um especially in those big meetings um and self-doubt or I shouldn't be here or just these things we tell ourselves so if you're if you're prepared you kind of lessen that room for that voice to go off um so yeah taking up space preparation don't be afraid to ask for um time off (laughs) I think setting boundaries is also really important in the workspace because that's the only way you can really do your best work. Um, it's really easy to feel like I have to work, 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 work to, pr- to prove myself, but really you're not gonna produce your best work if you're not feeling your best. So I think just owning the times where you might need a break and don't be afraid because if your end goal is to prove yourself and to do your best work, you kind of need a break in order to do that. And I think I remember when I was looking for jobs, I went, I'm not going to say where it was, but (laughs) um, I just remember like being in, I guess it wasn't really a job interview, but it was kind of that time where I was exploring kind of people's journeys and, figuring out what path I was really most excited about. And I remember one person, when I said that I was kind of, you know, taking time to take care of myself and things like that, I remember he kind of snapped and he was like, there's no time to to do that. Like, you shouldn't do that. You know, it's all, you have to like go hard with figuring out what you want to do. And And honestly, I look back and, that was kind of the worst advice <laughs> I've been given because even when I do look back and if I had not taken time for myself to take my time to make sure I was okay and that I was doing what I wanted to be doing, um, yeah, I would have been in a place I think that I didn't, I wouldn't have enjoyed and um, I don't think I would be happy (laughs) or be in the position that I'm in now. So I think patience and setting boundaries and being okay with taking that moment, whether you're already working somewhere or you just graduated or you're transitioning between jobs, I think don't be afraid to like take that moment, set those boundaries, go within and kind of see what's up. Um, 
And then I recently read this tweet that has stuck with me ever since. Um, Erica Williams Simon tweeted, don't ever attach yourself to a person, a place, a company, an organization, or a project. Attach yourself to a mission, a calling, a purpose only. That's how you keep that's how you keep your power and your peace. So that is also one big lesson I feel I've learned that she so eloquently wrote that the way she wrote it has really stuck with me since I read it. Um, I think that it's super important, especially for me, someone that is super sensitive and super passionate um, and especially about what I love and when what you love also becomes what you get to do, which is a huge privilege that I'm honored to say I love what I do. But it's also when that line gets blurred, it's also really easy to take things personally um, and feel like you are your work. (laughs) And I think that as opposed to attaching yourself to a brand or an organization or anything really that's material, I think that's when you fall into that and you have a harder time kind of maybe finding that balance or knowing when to stop working or or maybe if someone says something maybe about your work or anything, I think that having that mindset is really key because you also won't feel, I guess, as crushed if you were to like lose your job or if you were to leave your job or anything like that because you know within that regardless of where you go it's your calling and your own message and your own I guess purpose that you're taking with you it's not the name or the brand or any of that it's you your stories I guess in my case if you're a writer you're taking your stories your outlook with you and yeah I think that's just really helped me kind of not take things personally within work or feel like I am only my work. Um, And yeah, so I think that's the biggest thing that I'm learning that I can take me anywhere (laughs) in my stories. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You can never be too prepared. I took notes. (laughs) Don't be afraid to take up space, set your boundaries, Mm -hmm. and attach yourself to purpose. So how do you define beauty? I mean, all of our questions today are just loaded. (laughs) Beauty is such a big word. You know, I know this, right? It's literally in my brand name. Um, But when you're writing about – thank you. Um, When you're writing about beauty – like especially in regards to texture diaries, right? Your your column. Um, what are you searching for? What is beauty to you? And then how do you curate it? I think it's really about an internal harmony. And it's not so much about 
how I look. It's more what I've done to shift my mindset to feel good within myself. And I think that happens on a multiple on multiple levels. For me, it's really an, an internal thing because even the days maybe I looked the exact same <laughs> yesterday versus today, but if I did maybe something that actually uplifted me, I noticed like my internal dialogue is positive and therefore I'm able to contribute positive and beautiful things to society, whereas otherwise I'm an in- empty vessel. So beauty for me is really making sure it's kind of this inside-outside approach. And it's not just beauty because I just want to look cute. And I obviously we love to look cute, but <laughs> if I look cute and I don't feel good, then it's kind of just a waste of my personal energy and and things like that so I think that yeah just making sure my cups are full on a physical level on a spiritual level cellularly like just I feel like I have to have a balance of you know physical movement things for my spirit things for my brain and then the cherry on top is okay, I'm going to do like a face mask or make my hair look great or this and that. But I think for me, beauty is kind of a more holistic approach than an outer approach. I guess the way that that goes into my work, I I always ask myself, what would my younger self benefit from seeing? Like, that's kind of my mantra every time I write something. Um, Because, again, it kind of goes back to that theme of it being bigger than you. Even though I ask myself, what would my younger self want to see? By that, I really mean, what would people like me benefit from seeing? Also, just kind of starting from where I am. Like, who am I inspired by? whether it's on Instagram or on, you know, musicians that I listen to or anybody really, I just kind of ask myself, where am I right now? And I just go, I just gravitate to whoever naturally actually inspires me. I feel like I always try to work from an authentic place. And with Texture Diaries, um, it's really an extension of kind of the work that I was already doing because I love to talk about hair I love to talk about skin I love to talk about all those things but I think especially hair as it relates to black women and the trauma we face because of our hair whether it's bullying or fetishizing um, we face most of us have faced some sort of version of those things growing up And for me, a big reason I wanted to be in beauty space was to kind of give us a space to feel beautiful, feel validated, and also for the subject to heal from that trauma. 
Um, and it's not only, I mean, it, a huge part of it is what products are they using? What are their rituals that they love to do with their hair for the reader to see, oh, I want to try that, or we have similar hair, or maybe we don't, but I still want to try this. Maybe it'll work for me. Just a space that is literally like for you with no other gaze, no other, like, we're not thinking about anyone else. This is like our space to feel like I can explore my beauty. I can heal from my, the trauma I faced because of it, whether it's bullying or anything, any microaggressions you may have faced, the, the subject can come and talk about that journey, how they came out of it. Yes, I love to talk about, you know, the product and the outer layer as, you know, it's fun and taking care of ourselves is fun and it should be fun. Um, but it's also about recognizing how we can overcome and heal and kind of remove this outer gaze. I'm curious what our current societal climate around race and around the pandemic, I think in, in a lot of ways, there's a war between the two. Mm -hmm. um, what is it stirred up in your own life? Um, I, you kind of talked about it, recognizing that you've faced internally. Mm -hmm. What has it been like for you? You know, like, what is it? What has it caused? Knowing that the racial BS has been here, right? right. Like yeah. nothing new. Yeah. But exactly. the reckoning is uh, mm. quite fresh. <laughs> I think for a lot of Black people, the reckoning might be, and like is for me, I think maybe unnumbing yourself from actually how much pain you actually feel surrounding systemic racism. And that how much you hold in, I think that's been like maybe the reckoning. It's just this unveiling of how much pain am I actually in over this and how I don't want to normalize it anymore. Um, I think that's been a reckoning for Black people that I think a lot of conversations I've had with friends and it's things we've talked about again and again um, throughout our lives but I think again because we kind of have the attention of the people that either contributed to this or um, maybe just weren't listening before I feel like now we're just like really purging all of this pain that we hold on to yeah I think even for me like in June I had like no appetite at all because I was so stressed and it's a stress that has been accumulating for all of my years so far and stems back you know to centuries before me and so yeah I really think the reckoning is just allowing yourself that strength doesn't always mean I have to be strong and hold on it hold this in or something like that it can mean I can kind of really I guess let myself feel and and talk about this and and to like a really in-depth point 
and it, it doesn't have to be like every now and then I can talk about this. It's like I'm I'm letting myself get it out of my system and get it out of my bones and like because the way we hold on to trauma, we don't realize it's stored in our body. And something I've been doing um, that's been great is um, this. I've been working with this um, ancestral healing expert and she guides me through meditations that are oriented around ancestry and healing your I guess traumatic lineage when it comes to your ancestors given slavery and things like that or anything that you feel you want to heal that's been passed down through your lineage doing that I think has been really healing and just stopping the cycle of the trauma we hold in and and just yeah again it's that reckoning of I can breathe I can work through this and um heal from it and therefore heal my the people that came before me and hopefully the people that come after me so for me it's been a very much deeper spiritual investigation within and a healing opportunity who is that expert yes um her name is ash johns ashley johns but goes by ash ash inspires on instagram Okay, I'll have to look her up. Yeah, she's really amazing. Um, Yeah, I love that you're working through that. You know, sometimes it can happen and then you just let it happen and you do nothing about it, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's really cool that you've found that support and are actually addressing it. It's so important. Mm -hmm. What do you consume as far as Mm -hmm. um, like publications, news, books, Mm -hmm. podcasts? What would you say would be your maybe number one most referred? You know, like if you're talking to somebody, you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. This podcast. Mm -hmm. Where do you, I mean, I feel like, especially because you're so tied in, Mm -hmm. you know, to um, what's going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you probably have some pretty good resources. I'm really into, I guess, books that are kind of quick. I don't know if that sounds bad, but I <laughs> I really like like a small, okay, yeah, like, like little books like this. This is mm. The Voice of Knowledge, Don Miguel Ruiz, but the first book I read by him was The Four Agreements. Um, and I feel like that's a book I always recommend because it really, I guess, helped me tune out kind of, cause again, I'm like a very sensitive, I'm, I'm an empath as they would say, and I hold a lot and I take a lot personally and I think that book really helped me to get clear about my own energy and my own and how to protect it and recognize that everybody's on their own separate 
healing journey. And when you know that, there's no reason to take anything personally. Nikki Giovanni, I read a lot of her. Sonia Sanchez, those are two amazing poets. Podcasts, I feel lucky to say that I have a lot of friends that run my favorite podcasts. So um, my friend Naomi, who also works at Vogue, um, she has a podcast called So What Do You Do Again? And it's basically um, her highlighting women of color within the fashion industry and how they got to where they are. Another is Naked Beauty, which is a similar kind of similar to um, Naomi's podcast, um, but it's beauty focused. Yes. And then my friend Tyler has this other <laughs> new podcast called Next in Line, um, which covers people of color in all industries, not just fashion or beauty, um, but all creative industries and kind of what their journeys are and how they're kind of dealing with whatever current events are going on. You mentioned earlier that a lot of the writing you do is for your younger self. Mm -hmm. And that resonates with me because I, I feel the same way about everything that I do. Yeah. Um, so what would be your piece of advice if you could talk to yourself when you were 17? Yeah. What would you tell that girl in a few sentences? Yes, I would say never dim your light for the approval of others because those are the people that you don't want to be around anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. You can connect with us on Instagram at Woke Beauty or me at Riley Blanks and learn more at WokeBeauty.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. Until next time, have a beautiful day, even if it's not that beautiful. Oh.